Today's scripture is from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash their hands. And there are many, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, well did Isaiah prophecy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition so that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going to him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left, the people and his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is God's word to us. Good morning. Everybody, if you don't already know me, uh, my name is Cale Freeman, and I serve this church as family pastor, and it's my honor to get to open the Word of God with you all today. Um, that being said, let's pray, and uh, we'll get started. Um, Father, we, uh, we pray to you knowing that you're God and we're not, and uh, Lord, we just want to meet you through the scriptures today. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would meet every one of us, Lord, or that you would meet me in these scriptures today, and that we would see you more clearly and see ourselves more clearly as well. Uh, Lord, only you can do that, and Lord, we just ask that you would do exactly the kind of work that you say you do, Lord, that you would uh, reveal yourself to us and uh, show us more about ourselves. Amen. Um, if you don't already know me, uh, I'm not actually from Edmond. I'm from a small town in southern Oklahoma where it's really common to own a decent amount of cattle, and uh, my parents were certainly in that crew. We, like, had 60 to 100 head of cattle like at any given time my entire life. And sometimes we had a lot more than that. And uh, that requires a lot of land. And uh, we owned a couple of pastures, or my parents did. And sometimes they would have to lease more land whenever we had more cows. Well, there was a particular pastor, uh, pasture excuse me, that we had. Um, 
this pastor guy came up. Um, There's a particular pastor that we had a uh, lease that had a ton of these Canadian thistles. Um, I think we should have a picture of them up here behind me. Maybe you've seen these around. They, they grow here occasionally as well. And basically, they're like the spawn of Satan. They're, they're terrible. There's barbs on every bit of it, the head, the stalk, the, the leaves, everything. And these things were all over this pasture. And uh, the lady who owned the land uh, asked my dad if he could do something about it. So he got me and my friend Cole Cottle from Sulphur, Oklahoma, uh, to take care of them. Um, my dad knew enough about the Canadian thistle to know that they're really hard to get rid of. Um, so, like, if you try to pluck them out, like, two will grow where the other one was. <laughs> they're like the Greek, like, hydra thing. I mean, they're just terrifying. Um, if you cut them down, they grow back. I mean, they're just terrible, um, particularly whenever there's just a ton of them on your land. And uh, my dad had heard, though, that the real key to it was before you chop them down, you cut off all the heads and all the bulbs off of the plant, which there's like 20 or 30 per plant, right? Um, so armed with a couple of gloves and gardening shears and a four-wheeler, me and Cole went out and got to work, and it was like the worst. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, like, the barbs would go through the leather gloves. Um, you know, you would cut like 20 heads off each plant and move on, and like we were barely ever on the four-wheeler. We were mainly just like walking from plant to plant. It was, it was awful Oklahoma summer. But the reason why I tell you that is um, it didn't work, like, at all. <laughs> um, the, after, like, one week, we could see plants from the highway whenever we drove by, and, like, two weeks later, like, every one of them were back there. And, um, you know, whenever we have persistent problems in our lives, like, we're, we're all plenty smart enough to know that, like, whenever something keeps coming up over and over, we just need to get to the source, and we just need to, like, figure it out, and then it won't come back. Um, but, of course, like, a lot of times we can't ever really figure out what that source is, right? Um, that could be a uh, vehicle um, of a staff member that I know who every time it breaks down, like it's almost as if it uh, is uh, haunted by a ghost, but then he takes it to the mechanic and they're like, no, everything's fine, everything's great. It's like it makes no sense. And we do this with ourselves as well. Um, that's like the rise of the Enneagram and all this stuff. Like we have problems in our own lives and we see, like, man, if we could just get to the source and the solution, then we would be fixed. And then we find out that we're, like, a two or a four or whatever, and then we realize that it hasn't really made us any better. We just know how to define our dysfunction a little bit better, right? <laughs> um, so, so we do this all the time, right? And Enneagram's great if you're into that. But uh, that being said, uh, what we're talking about today is really getting to the source of our greatest problem. Uh, and that's sin. And whenever we get into, like, Bible talk and we start talking about things like sin, um, a lot of times we assume the definition, which isn't good because we kind of import definitions, right? And it may not be exactly what we see in the scriptures. So for clarity, sin is anything that's contrary to the will of God. It can be an act. It can be an intention behind a good act. It can be a thought. It can be all kinds of things. And we all kind of see this stuff inside of us, or at least many of us do, and we know that if we could just get to the source, maybe we would change, and yet oftentimes that source, that solution just kind of eludes us, right? And we find ourselves in the same place over and over. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about it through Mark 7, 1 through 23. Um, the Pharisees um, have been gone for a few weeks in our uh, sermon series. We haven't seen them since, uh, since Mark 3. Uh, but they're back, and they're back with a vengeance. They're ready to question Jesus 
with all kinds of things. And um, in history, these guys were the, like, religious elite. They were the Bible teachers of the day. They'd be equivalent to, like, what I'm doing here. Um, but these guys in the book of Mark are constantly shown as opposition to Jesus. And that's because they saw that what he taught was different than uh, what they taught. Uh, so today you're going to hear three different things. Um, first, we're going to see um, really the great error that the Pharisees made in this like rather large piece of scripture. Um, we're then going to talk about really why they made that error. And then finally, we'll talk about what that means for us today. Um, there's a lot in this passage. Um, there's so many different themes that all tie into one another, and um, there's some like cultural context. So just for the sake of clarity before I get going, I just want to uh, preview to you guys. Uh, I'm going to be primarily in verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to go over to verses 18 through 22. Everything else in between um, kind of explains those two, so just so you know, we'll be kind of hopping around. We'll have the verses up here, so you'll be able to uh, follow along, but just to, for the sake of clarity, want to preview that to you guys. So um, with that, let's reread um, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll get started. It says, now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, and that is, unwashed. And it has like this parenthetical note. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And whenever they come uh, from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. So the first thing that I want you guys to see in this text today is that the Pharisees traded the word of God for tradition. So um, whenever we go to verse two, it says that the Pharisees saw that some of Jesus' disciples were doing things that were against their tradition. And then in verse five, they asked Jesus, like, why is that? Um, not an innocent question. They're trying to provoke him. And what they're talking about here is like defiled hands. Um, this is actually a concept that's in our Old Testament. You can turn to Leviticus right now and find this kind of stuff where um, there was this idea of cleanliness and defilement. It wasn't so much like hygiene like we're concerned with, particularly in the last like year and a half, right? Um, this was like more of like a ritual thing. Um, but, you know, uh, with a, if something was defiled, that means that it was completely separate from anything that's holy. If something was clean, that means that it has at least the potential for being holy. So really what they're getting at here is like holiness and someone's potential for it, right? But um, the, uh, the, the interesting thing is, though, um, whenever you look at Leviticus, though, and you, if you choose to go down that road, uh, which you should, it's, it's really great, um, but uh, many people avoid it. I don't know why. Uh, but that being said, uh, if you look at that, though, there's no actual laws about people washing their hands other than for priests and for specifically priests eating, like, meals served in the temple. So, like, what is the Pharisees' problem, right? Well, so basically the Pharisees held to both the Bible, 
uh, as it existed in that time, and they also held to what is called the tradition of the elders. Um, you've probably heard of this by another name, uh, the oral law, the oral Torah. Uh, it got written a few hundred years after Jesus, and it's now called the Mishnah. If you have any Jewish friends, you may have heard them talk about that. Uh, but that being said, they believed that whenever Moses got the Ten Commandments and the law from God on Mount Sinai in written form, they also got the oral law and the oral tradition. And they believed that this helped um, basically understand and um, uh, they, they help, uh, basically help people understand the Old Testament, but also applied things to everyday life that was only intended for priests and only intended for particular reasons and particular uh, people. Now, the great problem with this, though, is that whenever they added to the word, they actually took away from it. So skip down to verse um, 8 and 9. Jesus says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So what Jesus is saying is like, hey, whenever you added this oral tradition, that means that you traded in the word of God. And they might have done it in a piecemeal kind of way, like one by one, but they certainly did it. And that's whenever Jesus gets into all this uh, Corbin business around like verses 10 through 13. If, if anything in the scripture reading was kind of lost on you, it's probably this section. Um, so let me explain this. Um, the idea of Corbin, Mark already tells us, is um, given to God. That's like the translation. But here's what's going on historically that Mark assumes that the reader already knows. This was an idea that the Pharisees had um, that was basically like a deferred... Um, uh, offering or a deferred gift to the temple at the time of one's death, okay? So basically, you could say, all my positions are Corbin, and whenever I die, I get to keep them now. Whenever I die, they go to the temple. And this was really convenient for anyone who didn't want to help out their aging parents financially because all they had to do, instead of honoring their, mother, uh, their father and mother, was say, oh, I'm so sorry, it's all Corbin, it's all given to God, I've done something really holy according to the Pharisees, and then thus they were able to get out of the actual word of God of honoring their parents, which by the way, Jesus tells us in like verse 10 that it's a capital offense at the time, so um, we'll talk about that later. Um, but <laughs> that being said, uh, whenever they took away, or whenever they added to the word of God, they took away from it. Um, in the music world, there is um, a real market for like old vintage uh, guitars and gear and this kind of stuff. Um, probably like on one hand because like they used to make them a lot better back in the 1950s and, uh, 50s and 60s and whatnot. Um, but also sometimes people just want to get the sounds of the past that they can't find in these newer instruments that have been like on an assembly line. People will spend thousands of dollars on these things and they'll spend thousands more if they know that this particular instrument belonged to a particular musician, right? Uh, so behind me, I should have a little picture of Mr. Jimi Hendrix of a guitar notoriety. That guitar right there recently sold last few years for $2 million, right? And if you don't play guitar, that just looks like a $100 guitar, right? Um, but musicians really care about these things. But I bring this up to say, imagine if the person who spent $2 million on this guitar that every guitarist in the world would love to own and he said, I think I can make it better. And then he started trading out its parts from different parts. And he started stripping off that white paint that was there in Woodstock of 1960-something fame, and he painted it a different color. 
and then he took the neck off, which by the way you can do, because he wanted a different wood on it, and he changed out the original knobs. The value of that guitar would go drastically down because every time he adds something new, he's taken away from what it once was. And so it is whenever we add tradition to the word of God. So the question that you should ask is, what is your tradition, right? What is your tradition? What is the thing that you add to the word of God? Um, We all have these things. They just manifest differently. Um, For some of you, it might be some form of like cultural progressivism, Uh, the idea that like um, the Bible's teaching on sexual morality or um, like uh, the the need for autonomy from any moral leadership and this kind of stuff. Uh, Whenever you add to these things to the scriptures, you're also saying that what was already there is not good enough and you're taking away from it. So you can't just add these things onto the scriptures. You actually take away from the biblical ethic of sexuality whenever you do these kind of things. You basically say, I'm going to be the editor-in-chief of God's holy word, and I'm going to trade it out like pieces on a guitar, right? And of course, for many of you guys who are on like the other side of the spectrum, uh, really my fear for you is that in a time whenever um, to non-Christians, we'll just say maybe a bad word, but um, non-Christians are an unhelpful word, um, whenever they think that conservative politics is synonymous with Christianity, my fear is that some of you guys would actually start to believe that too and let your conservative politics inform your Christianity rather than letting your Christianity inform your conservative politics. We all have these traditions. They can be all kinds of things. They don't even have to be old. But you must ask yourself what yours is. But let's now move to the second thing that I want you guys to see in our text today. Um, You've just seen how the Pharisees traded the word of God for tradition, but let's now look at the reason for why they did this. This is Mark 7, uh, 6 through 7. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So the Pharisees traded the word of God for tradition, and that's because their affections were for themselves. Their affections were for themselves. So um, they uh, came in, they asked Jesus this question. It's not innocent. We already know in like Mark 3, 6, that they've already decided that they want Jesus dead. And this is the first time that they show back up. They're trying to antagonize him and ask him about his teachings, right? So Jesus comes back and, you know, not heavy-handed, but in a very appropriate way, he's like, hey, you guys are just hypocrites, right? And this is a word that, like, we use today. Um, It comes straight from Greek. It's, like, literally the same word in Greek. Um, But, you know, the interesting thing is that the definition changed, like, ever so slightly from the way that we use it. Normally, whenever you and I say uh, that person's a hypocrite, it's normally a connotation of, like, whatever you say doesn't match your actions, Um, But the word as it existed um, 2,000 years ago in Greek-speaking societies is the same word for actor. Like, if if you were like an actor in a play, you were a hypocrite, right? Um, So really, he's not so much saying, hey, your words don't match your actions. Actually, what he's saying is your words, your actions, everything doesn't match your heart, right, the inside. So it's it's a slight nuance, but what he's getting at here is seeing clearly whenever he says that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is actually far from me. Right? Their hearts are far from him. And Jesus quotes Isaiah and he speaks of the heart. Right, And what he means whenever he says heart is, he's referring to the inner self, the source of human action, the origin of our wants and our passions, desires, and our affections. And he's saying, hey, 
Every bit of you that should be wanting God is not wanting God. Your hearts are not close to me, but your hearts are far from me. Your, the very affections and desires of your heart that should be for me are somewhere else, and they terminated on themselves. We don't really get a whole lot from Mark on what the Pharisees did after this. Uh, it just kind of moves on. They could have said something. They could have just walked off. I don't know. He doesn't tell us. Instead, Jesus tells a parable after this. Verse, um, I don't know, 14, 15, somewhere around there, where uh, he tells everyone else who's there, he's, hey, he says, hey, listen. Well, let me just read it. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So what he's done here is he takes both what the Pharisees were concerned about, defilement, and then he also takes what he's concerned about, hearts far from God, and he brings them together into one parable. And of course, his disciples, um, I love them, I identify with them, they didn't get it, <laughs> right? Uh, so they come down here in uh, verse 18, and they're like, hey, guy, or, uh, hey Jesus, what is, uh, what's about that? And he replies in verse 18, he says, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all these things uh, come from within, and they are what defile a person. So basically, he gives this long list of all these things that we would traditionally just call like sins, right? And it's like, if you just read them really fast, which I have a propensity to do, it just kind of looks like, okay, here's a bunch of stuff that you shouldn't do, and you probably already know you shouldn't do them, right? Um, but really what he's doing is he's, he's defining what a heart far from God is, right? And what he's doing in there is he's actually done something very clever. First he says, um, from out of the heart come evil thoughts. And then basically from there comes both actions as well as also intentions, right? So intentions being pride, deceit, envy, these kind of things. These are things that the Pharisees couldn't see, but these are things that Jesus could see. And he's saying, hey, listen, both what you let out and people see and what you also keep in, both are what actually defile the heart. You were concerned about people's hands being defiled, but actually your hearts are defiled. And here's what's crazy. If you look at like the rest of the, uh, um, uh, well, we can say the Old Testament for now, but if you look at the rest of the Bible, um, these kind of ideas are actually applied to like the heart in general, not just the Pharisee's heart. You got uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. It says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. That's pretty bad. Uh, Genesis 6, 5, every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. That's why the, the earth was flooded, by the way. Um, and we can actually see this in ourselves, too, if we look for it, right? Um, l let me uh, uh, give you an example. Um, many a um, fight in a marriage has consisted in a uh, particular thing being said, which is, I'm sorry, I'm just tired, <laughs> right? I can't relate at all, <laughs> right? And I know neither can you, but for everybody else. Uh, but uh, that being said, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, pro I, I'm sorry I said that, I'm just tired. Well, a couple of things let me validate. 
probably are tired. Your kids probably were, kept you up all night long. And you probably are like the most tired that you've been in like three months, right? Uh, along with work and everything else that's going on. Also, uh, you probably actually wouldn't have done that if you got more sleep. So like that's 100% true, right? But, you know, um, what's interesting is in light of what Jesus has just told us about the source of all things bad and the source of all sin, um, it's probably more accurate to say, like, hey, I'm sorry I said that. I can normally keep that hidden from you whenever I'm more rested. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, if you want to try that in your marriage, I don't know. Go for it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. But that being said, it's probably more accurate. Uh, but with that being said, it's in us all. Uh, and it's in the, in the disciples just a, a chapter before. Um, yeah, it's right here. Verse f- uh, 652, it actually says that the disciples' hearts were hardened, right? There's no good guys and bad guys here. Like, we all have the same problem and the same need. So now that you've all heard what the real issue is in our hearts, though, in our, in our affections, I want you to see the third and final thing that we're going to talk about today, uh, which is that Jesus wants to change your affections. He wants to change your affections. So... Jesus didn't die for your actions alone, but he also died for your affections. Um, In the rest of the book of Mark and in the rest of the New Testament, the entire way of the biblical witness, we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, how God literally became a man. I'm not sure how that works, but it's just amazing. He became a man, not wearing a God suit. He was one of us, and he came and he died for us and rose again so that whoever would believe in him would be saved and be cleansed from their sins. And this is good, and this is the good news, and if that's uh, all we hear, then yes, it's good. But I think like what's maybe the most over, uh, overlooked piece of that good news for many of us who uh, go to church regularly is that he didn't just die for the sins that you did, he died for the sin that is in you, right? He, he died for your affections. See, because without Jesus... Without his saving work on us, our very hearts, which are the core of why we do things, you could say it's the core of like your very self. At our very core, Jesus has just told us that we're actually defiled without him. But with Jesus Christ, the good news is is that he actually comes in and he cleanses our hearts. He cleanses our affections. He cleanses uh, everything that we could ever want that it would be opposite of him, and he points us back to him. And he does this in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 26 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanliness. We could say from all your defilement. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. So this is the Old Testament prophets prophesying of what Jesus and his good news was ultimately going to give us. That it was going to be both a cleansing from defilement that's so much worse than what we ever thought it was, and it's also the giving of his spirit uh, and a giving of a new heart and new affections. See, whenever you believe in Jesus Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit, and um, it immediately starts working within you to bring you closer and closer to loving him and not loving other things. At the same time, whenever you go before God in prayer, whenever you believe in Jesus Christ, you are already seen as fully cleansed. So there's both the reality that you're fully cleansed by Jesus, and there's also the reality that you are being cleansed and will continue to be cleansed and one day will be truly cleansed in the new heavens and the new earth. And, the, and this is the good news that he is proclaiming to us. 
So what do we do with this? Um, if you aren't quite sure what you believe about Jesus yet and, and you're uh, here and you're just kind of like processing this, let me just say, first of all, that um, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, you're the guest of honor. Thank you for being here. Um, and I'll just say, like, you've heard the claims that this book has put upon you, and you've also heard the claims that it's put upon everyone else here. Um, again, there's no good guys or bad guys. We're all in the same spot, and you've got to do something with those claims. Um, whenever the Bible speaks to sin, whenever the Bible speaks to being contrary to God's will, it doesn't hold anything back, like at all, right? And yet whenever it speaks to true cleansing, whenever it speaks to a changing of the heart into a place where you would experience more joy and more uh, just overwhelming forms of joy, there's no other word for it, um, it doesn't hold anything back either. So I would just encourage you, even if you're praying for the very first time, to like pray today, pray before you leave. Pray to Jesus, consider these claims on you and consider the good news that he offers you. Uh, and likewise, if you're here today and uh, you already consider yourself a Christian, um, the Holy Spirit is already at work in you. Um, it's already here, you get it upon believing and he begins to work on you day by day. You're already considered cleansed in one sense, but you're also being cleansed day by day. But the, the fine print is though, um, it's not always up and to the right. It's not like you just start and you just slowly get godlier and godlier and godlier, right? Uh, sometimes it's very hard. Often it's very hard. Um, the vast majority of the time, it's very hard, right? Um, and we're just constantly finding ourselves um, in a spot where we're like, why am I doing this again? How am I in this sin again? Why am I loving this instead of loving God? And don't be discouraged, right? If that's you, don't be discouraged because first of all, the disciples were in the same spot. And secondly, this is just evidence that the Holy Spirit is doing what he said he would do. He's making you uh, uh, closer and closer to loving God and not loving other things. And just the fact that you're able to see there's something wrong in me that needs to change, it's the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, let's, let's do it, <laughs> right? Uh, he's saying, yes, I'm trying to show you the path. And the way that he works is through community. And the way that he works is through others. So um, the thing that really, if that's you, that you should do is uh, repent. You should uh, confess to God, confess to others and say, like, I'm not in the spot that I should be. I'm loving other things other than God. I'm trying to do things my way instead of God's way. And you should just receive the assurance that Jesus Christ has uh, died for you and rose for you, and not just for the sins that you let other people see, but also for the sin that you keep wrapped up inside of you that no one knows about. Because he can see it, and he loves you, and he wants to cleanse you from it. And he's already cleansed you from it, and he will continue to do so. Um, the key to killing uh, the thistle, by the way, from the very beginning, whenever I started speaking, uh, you actually have to choke out the root, uh, which is different than pulling out the root, right? Pull it out, comes back even worse. Cut it, it comes back. Cut off the heads, doesn't do a thing. Lots of, lots of hard work. Um, but that being said, uh, you know, I looked it up. Actually, the way that you kill it off, you have to, you know, plants uh, photosynthesis, right? Second grade class, right? Uh, photosynthesis, right? Um, Whenever they don't have leaves, they can't get energy from the sun. So what you have to do is you have to cut them down. And then whenever they start to regrow, you have to cut them down whenever they're small before they have leaves again. And eventually, that root will eventually die. And you just have to go back to it over and over and over. The root system can be like 10, 15 foot long. It can have multiple plants. There's no way to just pull it out. But you have to continue to go back to it over and over until that root dies. And so it is with the root of sin in us. 
Our life as Christians is one of constantly going back to God and saying, Jesus, I'm not yet there. I'm still loving other things. I want to love you. Help me. So that being said, I just encourage you to repent and consider these things. So in summary, um, today you've all heard how uh, the Pharisees really missed it, and that's because their hearts were far from God, and that caused them to add things to the scriptures. But the disciples were guilty of this too, and so are we, but the good news is that Jesus came to save us from our sins, uh, from our sinful affections as well, and to consider ourselves clean before him already, and that the Spirit is at work cleansing day by day until the new heavens and the new earth. Um, I would just challenge every one of you guys um, to take a moment today and just consider what Jesus is already doing within your hearts, within your inner being, and just have the boldness to step into that, whatever it may be. Let's pray. Um, so, Father God, there's no good guys, there's no bad guys. Um, we're, we're all in a spot where we're far worse off than we really think, and we're in a spot where you offer us way more and, and so much more the forgiveness and joy and even a changed inner self and inner life. So, Father, uh, I pray that we would all look to you, look to your scriptures and experience you through these things, that we'd experience you through your, uh, through your spirit. And I pray that you would uh, just make that very obvious to us today. Amen.